and welcome to episode five of series three of the Forward Together podcast. Uh, my name is Jared Dean. I work for Hollywell Trust. We produce this podcast and delighted as always today to have Paul Gosling with me. Paul, how's things? Hi, Gerard. As good as ever. Good stuff. Good stuff. So today, Paul, you have a conversation with Lillian Sinoy Barr, who is the director of programs at the Northwest Migrants Forum. What what are some of the things that you chatted about with Lillian? Well, Lillian gives us the experience, of course, as someone who wasn't born in Northern Ireland and comes from a different ethnic background. And it is a perception, a perspective that's often lost within the complexities of Northern Ireland. Um, and we had the Good Friday Agreement 23 years ago. And as we discussed with Duncan Morrow a few weeks ago, it looked at Northern Ireland as if there are just two communities. But of course, there's more than two communities. There's a lot of people who don't recognize themselves, identify themselves as either unionist or Republican stroke nationalists. But there's other people who come from other places. I mean, there's people who come from England, like me, but there's also people who come from Africa, like Lillian, and many others that come from Eastern Europe or Asia even. So we have a more diverse population than is often recognized. And one of the things that we discuss is the fact that if you are a pupil, and you've got children at one of the schools locally, you often see a, a more rich diversity than you see on the streets of the city. And there are questions to the extent to which people from other national backgrounds, other races feel able to be as involved in the community and to be out and about as people who are from Derry are. Yeah, I think it's a real structural challenge um, where the whole society is built on the, the traditional two communities, if you like. Um, I think we, we need to find better ways of just making this whole place open and accessible to everyone. Um, Lillian also touched on Brexit and its impact on people who aren't from here as well. And she's really noticed an increase in uh, racist attitudes here. Yeah, and I think that's shown if you read the local papers about the number of racist incidents. It certainly feels, I mean, without having done any scientific analysis of it, it feels as if we see more reports in newspapers of racial incidents. And that's something that we need to be seriously concerned about. And I know that the, the, the online magazine, The Detail, has, has looked at this, uh, has looked also at attitudes by the police towards racial minorities. Uh, and it is something that we need, I think, to to increase our attention on. Okay. Well, let's hear the conversation that you had now with Lillian. Thanks very much for doing this, Lillian. As you know, the, the purpose of the podcast is on how we make progress in Northern Ireland. Um, now, the perception of Northern Ireland is broadly that there are two communities. But in fact, it's a more diverse uh, place than just two communities. Um, how do you? How diverse does it feel to you uh, as someone who is black who lives in Northern Ireland? Well, it uh, it depends on what you mean by that, because if you look at diversity within communities, Northern Ireland is very diverse. But if you look at diversity within its structures, we are still living within the binary of sectarianism. And we are between the nationalist and unionism. Uh, so there is no diversity there. But in terms of the population, Northern Ireland is diverse. And there's clearly a tension, isn't there, between the settlement of the Good Friday Agreement and the nature of our societies. Um, 
it might have been more true back in 1998 that there was essentially a nationalist and a unionist uh, population, though that overlooked uh, the other parts of the population that wouldn't be described as one thing or the other. But it has increasingly changed since then, partly through uh, more people coming to live here, but also partly through more people not accepting the traditions of the community that w within which they were born. I mean, what's your take on the Good Friday Agreement? Is this something that we we can live with or or does it offend you that people uh, are expected to describe themselves within the assembly, for example, as either unionist or nationalist stroke Republican? I think the Good Friday Agreement had its uh, place in, in between the time where Northern Ireland was looking for peace and stability. And in 1998, it worked well because it brought, it stopped violence. I don't believe that the Good Friday Agreement brought peace to Northern Ireland. It stopped violence on the streets because there is still no peace in Northern Ireland. We, we can see what has happened just the last few days. So it's negative peace, it's silent peace that, that is in this country. But my honest view, I feel that the agreement is now outdated. If you look at strand one of the uh, item six of the Good Friday Agreement, which forms the structures of Northern Ireland, it is still between the two traditions, the two identities here. There's no recognition that Northern Ireland has grown. And I think at that time, there were no, uh, the people who are on the table were not forward thinking in terms of the makeup of Northern Ireland after the 1998 or after 2000 years, it was um, uh, it was an urgency to bring stability and to move Northern Ireland forward. But nobody has actually looked at how do we move beyond the two traditions to be able to accommodate, embrace, and accept the new communities that are coming to join us. There's I think at that time there was no even recognition that minoritized people existed then. We have groups that started coming to the north well before 1998. You know, we have historically the Indians and the Jews were, and the Chinese were here during the troubles. They, they, they have never been recognized even with the part that they played through the troubles. So they have been sidelined completely because they were a minority. They were seen as a minority. And that language, that narrative is the continuation even in 2020. And if we are to progress, we have to look at, we have to be more conscious of where we are now, not where we were before. It's where we are now. And that's why I feel that the Good Friday Agreement needs to be updated to, to come into terms with the way we are at, at right now. In, I don't know about the census, but I, I, I believe at the moment, European citizens who have applied for EU citizenship to stay because of Brexit is about 87,000 people. So minoritized communities from other communities have not been counted yet. So we're talking about an increase, significant increased number of people who do not um, identify as unionist or Protestant, including young people who are born in this community, 
who traditionally would have been forced to get into this box. And they're coming out of that box now. They don't want to be identifying those binaries. There's more progress that has happened within society. Legislation needs to catch up. I guess there's two particular things that have changed, one of which is that because of the perception internationally that peace has been achieved in Northern Ireland, people are more willing to, to move here than they would have been in the past, in particular from other countries within the European Union. And the other factor is that Northern Ireland, like the South, has perhaps become a more secular state where people are less inclined to uh, identify on the basis of the religion that their parents were born into. They, uh... The, the identity, I think there's even a confusion, in my opinion, when it comes to identity, because identity evolves. If, uh, I remember before I came to this country, I was just a Maasai woman, a Kenyan woman, and a, a mom. But I've come to this country, I'm now British, I'm married to an Irish, so I identify myself also as an Irish, and I am still a mom, I'm an activist, and I work in a very diverse society. So I, my identity has evolved since I left to come and live in this country. And that is the same with people here. People who identified as Irish or British before have maybe intermarried with other people. So they, their identity, they have multiple identities. And if we cannot accept and accommodate that, we will never achieve positive peace in Northern Ireland. When we talk about internationally, the, the absence of violence attract people to a place. So it's not the, it's, some people may not be acquaintance to what is happening in the North, but the fact that there is no violence on the street, they feel that they can come and live there. There has been also a lot of promotions of showing that the community is stable. You know, we're, we're more progressive than other societies. But until you live within Northern Ireland, that's when you know that there's no progress that has been happening here, apart from there no violence on the street, which we now risk that violence coming back because of the Irish uh, border, uh, protocol. Even the rhetoric of an Irish border poll is also unsettling people. And, and we risk bringing that violence back to the to, to the street. So I think it is very important that we have these discussions in a very sensitive way that acknowledges the fears of people, but also the reality on the ground, that there is a need to shift from the leadership that was there in terms of policies and structures, change them completely to ac accommodate the multiple identities and the diversity that has in, uh, has increased in this society. And how well received have people from other cultures and nations uh, been when they've come to Northern Ireland? What's what's the ethnic minority um, experience of Northern Ireland? There's very different experiences. You know, my experience is not going to be the same as an experience of another black person. Um, de depending on how you have come to this country. There are people who come here as spouses of migrant workers, and their experience is going to be a, a completely different experience. They may feel more isolated and more alienated because the policies and the structures that we have will not even allow them to access some rights. You know, And if you come here as a refugee, your experience is going to be completely different. 
overall, there is a welcoming uh, society in terms of we have welcomed you to come and live here. However, that welcoming is not, uh, doesn't mean you're accessing your rights that you're supposed to access. And that is the problem. There is, uh, we've talked a lot about racism, but we talk, we focus on the prejudices of people rather than the structural racism that exists within our structures and our governance here. And, and if we don't tackle structural racism and only focus on prejudice and covert racism, then we end, we people from minority ethnic communities will never feel like they belong in this society. For example, we have a racial equality strategy that was established 15 years ago, but it has never been implemented. So um, the nonviolent government is very good at developing policies, great initiatives, but never implement them. So they're just shelves. So that, that really doesn't translate to a welcoming society. A welcoming society to me is a society that embraces and accepts me for who I am and make me belong, feel that I have that sense of belonging. I am part of this society. But there is pushback all the time from the streets through policies and procedures that we have. And you have no sense of belonging. The othering of minority ethnic people. You know, we, we still, as I said earlier, it is still about the two traditions. The policies we develop is to advantage the two traditions in, in the North, and then we will think about this other community. So unless we really dismantle that um, um, ideology that we are one community, we're not a, we are one community of many traditions. You know, we're not a community of two traditions. We've got to move from that language. We've got to move beyond looking at people, uh, putting them into boxes so that they can access their rights. Because that's where the tension comes in. What is it for me? You know, but if we're looking at a whole society and how do we, how do we ensure that we get people out of poverty. How do we create wealth that can be shared within all communities? How can we uh, change our health system so that everyone within the North can access quality health services? We start thinking about social issues, economic issues that are impacting on all of us, not one section of the community. Then we're thinking about everybody and we'll be able to release some of the tensions that are there. Before we talk more about the structures of inequality within our society, let's let's talk briefly about prejudice first, because there's been statistics came out in the last few days, which show a significant and worrying increase in self-description of racial prejudice amongst the what might be described as the host community within Northern Ireland. I mean, do you think that uh, that's a statistical anomaly? It seems to be consistently growing. I mean, why is that? Do you think what's what's going on here? There's, uh, I think there's a multiple reasons. There's obviously, I think Brexit has increased racism within the whole island. There's, um, there's also that fear, the rhetorics that were there before, uh, that there's um, 
magnitudes of immigrants coming to our country. You know, so, so, so are you saying that you think it's given people permission to describe themselves as having racial prejudice, uh, the process of Brexit? The process of Brexit, but it is not the only process of, of Brexit because it's also the language that leaders within this community are using. If, if we have leaders uh, creating that environment of fear and not being held accountable, because if you are a leader and you use racist language and you're not held accountable, you're literally giving people permission to, to act on that language, to act on it. And that's, it's, it, you, your words really matters a lot. There are consequences that follow on what you say. If you turn around and you say, we don't want black people in this country as a leader, or black people are coming to this country to destroy it, the people you are giving permission to attack black people are the ones on the streets, are the neighbors of those black people. So it is really the language that we use as people who are in, in influential positions, they, that increases prejudice. There is also the fact that people, I feel, have not really interacted well with people of minority ethnic people. And when we talk about the statistics that we are using right now, the people we are asking those questions about prejudice and racism are not those who are impacted by it more. We only see those statistics when it comes to recording of racism through the police. When we look at the, the surveys that are done, the, the, the questions are being asked to white people. So you're asking a white person, do you believe that racism exists in Ireland? Do you really believe that they will say yes? So very few of them will say yes. Very few of them will be comfortable to talk about their prejudice towards a neighbor. I know. So I do feel that there is, um, the, we haven't seen the true picture of that prejudice within our society because they, a lot of people here really do not speak their mind as much as they are supposed to but they are being enabled by people in influential positions the other thing which always strikes me lillian is that as a parent i was aware of significant number of children from ethnic minority backgrounds who went to school and you'd see the parents at parent events um, but apart from perhaps in Dungannon and, and perhaps in some parts of Belfast, you don't see the same proportion of people from ethnic minorities on the streets of, in particular Derry, say. That would suggest to me that there's a, a lack of confidence, perhaps, amongst people from ethnic minorities about being willing to go out and about. Is, is that a reasonable perception, do you think, I've got? Yeah, it is. There's that fear. You know, I, if you wake up in the morning and the first thing you say it's somebody saying that you shouldn't be here, you, you, you shouldn't be part of this society, what confidence will you have to go out on the streets or to even access public spaces? You are not going to have that confidence because you're going to be very fearful. There's, um, there's a notion that there are very few minority ethnic people in the North. That's the notion, and that's, I think, that's a narrative that suits government and to, to stop them from investing in policies that will allow these people to access or afford them their, their, their rights. And that notion really does 
exclude and isolate minority people from going out on the streets. I think um, sometimes when something happened in England, for example, people in the North will start questioning, well, could that happen to me? So if you see a young black boy being arrested for nothing or being stopped and searched for nothing, and we don't even talk about it in Belfast, which is happening really increasingly, which is happening in Belfast, when somebody, because our communities are small, just as dairy, everybody knows everybody. When you hear that, you're not going to go out. You'd rather stay indoors so that you are not stopped and searched for nothing and re-traumatized or by anybody. I have families that I have to go and shop for them. They have absolutely no confidence leaving their house because they have been racially abused. And then the solution is being removed from the area that you have made some connection to be taken to a different area, completely isolated and alienated from the community that could have helped you. You're removed from a place you have called home. We put in a place where nobody can be, can be able to support you. So you even, by the time you are, you're leaving your house to go to town, in your head you're thinking, how many people will attack me before I get to the bus station because of how I have been isolated? So it's not that we do not have a lot of people living in Derry from my notorious community. It is those people are uh, consciously isolating themselves to keep themselves safe. So the negatives are that we have an increasing number of the host community who would self-describe as being racially prejudiced. We have a negative experience for many people who are here. And we also have, as you say, the PSNI statistics, which show that stop and search is disproportionately affecting young black people in Northern Ireland. We do have some positives, for example, the fact that the most recent statistics show that the educational outcomes for school children from ethnic minorities is improving quite significantly. Um, it's not equal yet with the, the white community within Northern Ireland, but it is significantly improving. So does that indicate that there is some uh, improvement within the structural challenges affecting the ethnic minority populations of Northern Ireland? First of all, um... Paul, we've got to change the language. Who is the host community? Because we've just identified within our discussion right now that people who have been here since the 19th century. So who is the host community? The fact that we are not even prepared to accept that people of my notorious community are part of the society. They're not being hosted. You know, they're not visitors. They are part of this community, so that language has to change. Okay, fair enough. I, I apologise for that. I mean, my no, point is that it. my, my point is that it, it would be wrong for me to talk about the white and non-white because we're also talking about quite a lot of people from Eastern Europe. So I'm not quite sure what terminology to use. Racialized people, racialized or minoritized people. That's the language we should use, and also traditional people, the traditional ethnic communities that have been living in this society. Because we are, if we talk about minority ethnic people, I've got uh, Irish people who said, I am a minority. You know, so we can talk about racialized people because we, are, we come from different races. And, 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 and I think that's the language that is, will be more acceptable because you are accepting that people are not visitors. If I, I 
people come to my house and I post to them. They don't live in my house, but I'm not, uh, I'm not being posted in Ireland because I now live here and this is my home. I'll die here. So that's the point I wanted to make. But to come back to your question about um, having different outcomes with education, I, I don't think that people from racialized communities were not able to um, perform better before, or they, 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 they were not able to, um, you know, they, they were not, they're not intelligent, that they cannot, they, they cannot perform better in schools. It is the inequalities that has been there well before that they cannot even access education. For example, we have asylum seekers, young people who have completed high school with very high marks, but can never go to university in this country because they are excluded from that education system. You have refugee children who come to this country, they speak a different language, it's a completely foreign language for them. They're not supported in school to be able to understand the curriculum. You've completely left a curriculum that you're used to, to a new curriculum, and you're not being supported. So it's not that our people were not able to perform better. They were not supported or integrated within the system so that they can perform better. So it's really things are getting a little bit better because there's now an awareness. It's, it's only now that in the North we are beginning to um, accept the role of interpreters and bringing multiple languages within services so that people can access the language that and, and understand it. We are now giving our uh, young people some support, you know, extra education time in school to catch up. Those who have just come, the new communities that are joining our community now, we are beginning to understand that they will need extra support to be able to, not to understand the, the not because they, they need more help, it's to understand the curriculum that they have not been using before so that they can catch up with the rest. So that, I, I see that as the, the change, the positive change that is coming. There's now a greater awareness of the needs of people, but we are very far from supporting the whole society, particularly supporting minoritized people to catch up. We're very far. These inequalities are increasing rather than reducing. We're actually going backwards rather than uh, progressive when it comes to our community here. So what other structural changes do we need to make in our society, Lillian? I think, first of all, we've got to understand that we are a more diverse community. The minority community, the ones we call a minority community, we've got to stop othering them. They are not the other. They are part of this society. And the structural changes that needs to change is the legislations. Those legislations has to reflect the diversity that we have in this country. We've got to um, create policies that acknowledges that we have people who are not accessing equal opportunities. I'll give a good example. We've got people who come to this country with very, very well-educated people, with professionals. They are doctors, they are nurses, they are engineers, but they're not allowed to practice here. They've got to go back to university and take another four years of studies 
My, one of the examples that I used is myself. I came here with a degree and I had to redo the whole degree. And even in the university, I was helping our lecturers to lecture in class because I had already covered everything from year one and two. But that degree was not accepted here because it was not good enough to practice in this country. That has to change. But, but that, that, that's a problem that has to be addressed within Westminster rather than within Stormont, isn't it? Because the... Stormont has a role. It, people who come to live in Northern Ireland are a responsibility of the Northern Ireland government, not Westminster. So Westminster, Ireland washing their hands, saying that this is a Westminster issue, while you are advocating for the rights and privileges of the people from two traditions, from Westminster, why can't you do the same for minoritized communities here? You cannot wash your hands and say, this is not our problem. It is your problem because your problem for integration, your problem for creating wealth, your problem, uh, you have the problem of uh, ensuring that everyone access equal rights. So we, we cannot say that it is about Westminster alone. No, but my point was that the, the acceptance of qualifications is something that's legally determined by the British government rather than by the devolved assembly. Not necessarily, because when we have, uh, we, when we have nurses and doctors who come and practice here, they all go through one test across the whole UK. So when a nurse is accepted to come and work here but is not afforded the opportunity to progress so that they can become either managers or they can access education, it becomes a problem of Northern Ireland, not a problem of Westminster. And Northern Ireland has to work with the Westminster to change that policy to afford those nurses and doctors here to be able the opportunity to practice. So what other structural changes would you like to see within our society? I'd also like to see the education system changing. You know, we have an education system that only advantages young children who are born in this community, not those who are coming to join here. So if we have, we need to have an integrated school that will allow every every young person, including those young people who are born in this country from the white community, to uh, to be comfortable within diversity. We still have schools that are Catholic schools, grammar schools, Protestant schools. Where, where do we fit in? You know, I'll, I'll tell you something funny. The other day my niece was walking on the street and this lady came and said, it's Easter, what church do you go to? And she mentioned the church that she goes to and said, oh, I will invite you to come to my church, but I wouldn't have invited you if you are a Catholic. You know, if we still have that language that we like, I can invite you because you're a black person and you, I associate with you through my religion, but if you're a black person who is a Catholic, I will not accept you. We can only change that if we have an integrated school that people can be able to see that we are all the same, regardless of the differences within our culture, our accents, or our beliefs but we all are the same. The curriculum also has to change. We've got to teach our young people the history of this country because there's so much of history that has been hidden. We do not speak about uh, the, I always tell people, black history is Irish and British history because we have a commonwealth country. Why is it called commonwealth? 
it's because Africa was invaded and that story is never told. We have Irish people who believe their country was invaded. That story is never told. That history is not taught in schools. We've got to let young people understand their history so that they can be able to appreciate where we are right now and look forward to a better future. So that's another structural change that needs to change. I do believe if we are to live in a peaceful society, we've got to tackle the issue of identity. We have multiple identities in the North which has not accepted each other. And I do believe it's because we don't respect each other, really. There are people who feel more superior and than the rest within the society. And that is not just about minoritized people. It's also within the two traditions. There are those who feel more superior than others. And if something is important to me and something is important to you, I should be able to accept that. So when it comes to identity, if I am celebrating my identity as a nationalist, I should be comfortable when a unionist is celebrating their identity because we are all within one community. So we've got to genuinely be honest in those conversations and start developing relationship of respect that is lacking in this society. And then we can have dialogue together. There's that sense we don't talk to each other. What we do, we shout at each other. And we and the one who shouts loudest is the one that is heard. So we've got to start looking at those really marginalized voices and bring them to the table so that we can change this society. I don't have all the answers, but I do believe if everybody was on the table, we will get an answer that works for everybody. Now, integrated education is one of those issues, but integrated housing is another and we continue to live within a city, within a society across the north in which people live in areas that are to a large extent demarked by flags and curbstones. I mean, how, how does that make someone feel who arrives here from somewhere else? Um, when you look at the emblems and the, the flags that are there on both sides, you know, and, and I'm using the, the, the both sides because this community is still divided into two. It's marking territories. This is my territory and you're not welcome here. But I remember in 2015, I was working in Corn Nelson Drive. And we, we had so many people who went to this center in Crescent Link. And a gentleman on, who lives around there called me and my husband and they said, what are you guys doing there? And I said, oh, I work for this organization and we're coming to talk about diversity and inclusion. And this gentleman asked me, what country do you come from? I said, I come from Kenya. And he said, can I have a Kenyan flag? I will put it up here. And he actually made me feel really good about myself because he was prepared to accept me. And then I asked him, if I bring you two flags, my Kenyan flag and an Irish flag, will you put both of them there? And he said, no. So I asked, why are you prepared to accept me and not your neighbor? 
who has lived here. I have just come. I came here five years ago at that time. And you're prepared to accept me, who is a newcomer, than your neighbor who you were born here. So if we still continue to mark our territories and refuse to accept that we live in a, in a diverse society and every one of us has the right to live wherever you feel comfortable and not that it's where you feel safe. Every one of us should be feeling safe in Northern Ireland. Every one of us. That I choose a place I want to live because of a specific reason, but not because it is unsafe for me. Maybe because that is where my friends live. Maybe because that is where my work is, is or it's closer to my work. But not because if I live in the water side, I'm more safer than living in the city side. So yes, integrated housing will be great, but is, are we prepared for it? That's why we have to talk about the issue of identity, the issue of respect for each person's uh, space in this country, because it is big enough for all of us. And we've got to start in the place, why are we so afraid of each other? Why do you fear um, Catholics, or why do you fear unionists? What, is, what has brought this fear? Then if we can tackle that, then we may achieve that integrated society. Now, Lillian, I'd be, I'd be happy to talk to you for hours about this, in honesty, uh, but we are running out of time now. Uh, so, But I don't want to leave it on that note. I mean, if you had the opportunity to, to give a message to politicians in Stormont, what would that message be about how we make progress here? I think we've got to be conscious of where we are at in the North at the moment. We live in a very diverse society, so let's not pretend we are not. And I wish every leader could start respecting other people. And if, you, if we start respecting each other, we may just start listening to each other. Because I don't believe that we are listening to each other. And for our leaders, I think we should remember that when we are elected, we are not elected to serve the people who voted for us. We are elected to serve every individual person in the North. So if we start thinking in a wholesome rather than um, individualistic and what benefits me and my people and we think about what benefits the whole of the North, then we may just progress. Lillian, thank you very much indeed. That is very much appreciated. Thank you. Okay. Uh, the conversation that you had there with Lillian, Paul, was really interesting. Lillian's touching on stuff that has been touched on by loads of other people as well. It, it's structurally, we, we need to look at a couple of things here. We keep coming back to education. We keep coming back to housing. Um, we're a divided society, and that's not serving anybody at the minute. Absolutely. And there are tensions within communities, and there are tensions within schools. Uh, I know uh, from anecdotal conversations that, uh, that some school pupils have felt the need to change schools because of racism within the some of the schools. Um, and clearly, there are difficulties with um, within some housing estates uh, across the whole of Northern Ireland. Um, 
that actually there are real tensions in some places. And we've seen that in recent times in Carrickfergus, for example, where families have, uh, have been forced out. Uh, and, and it is something that really we've not been able to get to grips with in Northern Ireland, I think. Yeah. I enjoyed how Lillian ended the, the conversation with Colin for politicians. They listen to one another as a key, rather than placing all the importance on the statements that they may be making themselves. Growing that empathy, I think, is going to be important here when it comes to addressing issues like racism. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Uh, while you say that, Gerard, I'm thinking, how different are we? But it is certainly true that in Northern Ireland, political parties feel that to gain votes, they have to differentiate themselves from other parties. Mm. And that really is a difficulty when we've got a, a, a five-party coalition in government that you've got parties that get into election by saying they're different from others then they're expected to work together by finding similar approaches to things and so you've got that structural difficulty in governing northern ireland yeah yeah well that, that hopefully we'll get into that conversation later on in the series but Paul, thank you for meeting with Lillian and thanks to Lillian for taking the time to have the conversation. Thanks as always to our funders, the Community Relations Council for Northern Ireland and to all in the Hollywell team. We'll talk to you again next time.